This is Reset. I'm Becky Vivi in for Sasha and Simons. Do you remember Facebook former employee and whistleblower Frances Hogan? She gave a scathing testimony in front of Congress last year about the social media giant's approach to misinformation on their site. Now, she and other whistleblowers are back with formal complaints that allege Facebook prioritized profits over fighting hate speech and misinformation. How is this different from complaints they made last year? And what do they hope to change with this new approach? Kat Zakreski is a technology policy reporter for The Washington Post and joins us now with more. Hi, Kat. Hi, thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, thanks for being here. So let's get into it. Why are these complaints coming now, a year after Hagen first testified against Facebook? So these complaints are basically building on her initial arguments that Facebook placed its own profits over the safety of its users. They really drill down into two specific areas. Um, one is climate change misinformation, and the complaint argues that um, basically the company lacked a clear policy on the issue as recently as last year, despite Facebook executives uh, committing to fight the global crisis. And I think it's notable that the climate change one is coming now because around the time last fall that Haugen was going public, Facebook was you know, starting a broad public relations campaign on climate change, um, committing to work with global leaders on the issue. Um, the second companion complaint really focuses on COVID misinformation, um, talking about how internal com- company communications about the spread of vaccine hesitancy uh, showed the proliferation of COVID misinformation, even as the company was touting its work on this issue. And uh, that is significant at this moment as, you know, the U.S. is still struggling with the pandemic. And we know that, uh, you know, problems with rolling out the vaccine have played a big role in that. Mm -hmm. I understand they filed these complaints with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Are they hoping for a different outcome than than last year's by, by filing them with the SEC? Why file there? So, uh, the Francis Haugen actually filed at least eight other complaints last year with the Securities and Exchange Commission, oh. and the agency doesn't publicly comment on whether or not an investigation exists into complaints. So we don't know what the agency has done with the information mm-hmm. that she's given them yet. Um, but what we do know is that SEC has a broad mission to ensure that companies aren't publicly misleading or omitting key information that investors need. And the basic argument that Frances Haugen and her lawyers have made in, in all 10 of these complaints is that Facebook basically misled investors and the public about what was actually going on internally. And she and her lawyers build those cases by effectively comparing the public statements that company executives made whether in congressional testimony, on company earnings calls, and contrasting that with the conversations employees were having internally, with research that was going on internally, and uh, internal discussion. Hmm. So what power does the SEC have to have if they agree with the allegations? So the SEC has a wide range of uh, powers and penalties they can pursue. Um, you know, another time that we saw uh, – A somewhat similar uh, situation was in the wake of Cambridge Analytica. The SEC Mm. actually looked into, uh, you know, Facebook's handling of that situation and and what it said to investors about it, and it actually hit the company with with a small fine. And so, um, you know, one of the most common ways we 
see this play out is um, with the SEC uh, running an investigation, and then if they find any wrongdoing, that they might reach a settlement with a company or, uh, you know, bring uh, formal charges against a company that can play out in court. Well, fines would obviously hit their bottom line, but would it would it be enough to stop the misinformation? It's a really important question. I mean, I think, um, you know, Facebook is in a much more uh, financially delicate situation today than it was um a few years ago when we saw the beginning of more government scrutiny of the company with the recent struggles they've been having with advertising. So I, I do think that a government fine would be uh, more more of a problem for the company these days. And then on top of that, I think, um, you know, this just speaks to the amount of public pressure that's on Facebook to address misinformation. I think in a lot of ways, the pandemic has really been a turning point for the company because um, there's been such a strong uh, showing of really the impact that social media can have on public health responses, and the real and it really has underlined the real world impact of misinformation online. And so I think you know complaints like this, if the government Im- opens investigations into them, it just shows how the company is consistently under pressure to do more, especially when you have um, Democrats in the White House and running Congress um, who have been really uh, concerned and, and uh, really upset with the company's handling of misinformation for years. Mm-hmm. This is Reset. I'm Becky Vivi in for Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking with Kat Zakreski, technology policy reporter for The Washington Post, about the latest complaints filed against Facebook. Coming up after this, what do coffee and side projects have to do with each other? We'll explain in just about five minutes. Kat, could you remind us again of what happens when posts, misinformation posts are allowed to spread on Facebook? So um, there's, you know, been different struggles with misinformation for the company. Um, You know, what we see in the complaints that Frances Haugen shared is employees internally flagging posts that they're finding themselves that are spreading misinformation, um, particularly on climate misinformation. Facebook hasn't been investing in that problem um, as long as it has been, um, you know, addressing other types of misinformation around public health or voting. Um, you know, this is a newer front for them in um, addressing problematic content on their site. And Um, One of the big ways that Facebook tries to address misinformation is through relying on third-party fact-checkers. Facebook itself has maintained that it, as a company, doesn't want to be an arbiter of the truth online. So what it's done is partnered with third-party media organizations. And what they've tried to do is basically have these organizations like the Associated Press, USA Today, other news outlets, uh, come in and, and when, you know, a lot of people are flagging a post as potentially problematic, these fact checkers can come in and, and run a fact check on it. And then if they do find that it's false, Facebook can then take steps to reduce the spread of it online. Um, but they rarely actually take the content down. Um, and so this has been their approach to a lot of uh, misinformation on the platform since the fallout of the 2016 election. But, uh, you know, what we've seen is that process takes Uh, quite a long time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they only have a handful of fact-checking partners, um, especially um, in in many languages, they don't have any at all. Mm. And so uh, often we see that these lies can spread on the 
platform faster than the fact checkers can keep up with them. Mm-hmm. And and yes, you could slow it down, but is there anything that would, um, I guess, propel the correct information to the top of the feed? So what they do is is they append the fact checks um, on the false information. So it it, mm-hmm. um, it, it basically is, is attached. There are also some steps that Facebook has done um, to, you know, elevate authoritative information um, on the website. So one of the things they've been doing is um, on some of these sensitive topics like voting, like information about COVID, like climate change, they've created these information centers um, where people can go and find information from reliable sources about these subjects. Um, the problem with that is awareness of these information centers is extremely low. Um, that's one of the things that comes up in Francis Haugen's complaints. Um, you know, talking about climate misinformation, Facebook has really touted um, anytime it's under pressure on this, you know, the, the amount of people who, uh, the, the amount of investment that they've made in setting up these authoritative information centers. But uh, the company's own research found that actually uh, very few people are even aware of this, and there's real concern about whether or not it would actually move the needle. You know, people who are already questioning climate change, uh, that Facebook's own research, um, you know, suggested that they might not be swayed by Facebook putting together a center like that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, technology is evolving faster than the law can keep up. Um, How might these complaints be a model for how to moderate content on social media platforms, Facebook and and other, you know, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram um, going forward? So these are really complicated situations because, Basically, we have the First Amendment in the United States, so that really limits, you know, in many ways what lawmakers, what federal agencies might be able to do to address the scourge of misinformation online. Um, But in talking to academics, they said one area where there may be, you know, some opportunity for legislation or regulation would be in holding companies accountable to the promises that they're making publicly, to the policies that they're putting together on content moderation. So although you could never have, you know, the government regulating this is what's true and what's false in the United States, that's not the model we would want under our Constitution, um, you could have a situation where you could say, okay, Facebook, you say you have these rules to address COVID misinformation, Um, And we, as a government, are going to hold you accountable to actually sticking to those rules, to following through on your public commitments. So Mm -hmm. some academics who have studied constitutional law and Internet, um, you know, policy think that that could potentially be a path forward um, where you could hold the companies accountable to the policies that they create. Oh, fascinating. Well, we're out of time, but Kat Zakreski is a technology policy reporter for the Washington Post. Kat, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Really appreciate your time.